Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So, we have made it to the end. This is the very last episode of my mini series. I hope there are some people who are new here. If not, welcome back. But a quick explainer once again. This is little short 15-minute episodes where I break down a lot of the complicated jargon and language in Formula 1 that I personally found difficult to understand uh and get into when I first started watching Formula 1. So these short episodes break down these terms as quickly and as efficiently as I can. I go letter by letter. A through Z that's why it's called the ABCs and like I said this is the last one but there are quite a few episodes before this so if you want to check those out please go listen to them um but since these are the very last letters and there aren't exactly that many Y or Z terms I've just decided to go back through my list of terms that I had compiled before starting this series that I haven't been able to get to in the past, but ones that I still think are fairly important and I want to discuss now. So I'm only going to be doing four terms today, so I'll keep it short and sweet for you as a thank you for listening to all the episodes before this. So the first term out of 4 here is the DAS system or DAS. And this was something that I think was a larger topic of conversation early last year in 2020 when that year's cars were first starting to be tested and people with a really watchful eye noticed that something was different about the Mercedes cars. and they saw that the steering wheels were moving and this is what gave rise to the discovery of the dual axis steering system or that's where the acronym DAS comes from and what this did was that it changed the alignment or the toe that's T O E of the front wheels and it was controlled by the driver pulling and pushing on the steering column so before i go any further i have to unpack what in the world does toe mean And this is something common with all cars, but uh is definitely incorporated in the way that the DAS system functions. And so toe refers to the alignment of the front wheels relative to each other. So when a car is said to have a toe-in angle, that means that the wheels are pointed inward towards each other, while a toe-out means the opposite and that they point away from each other. So in Formula 1 the toe changes with the different tracks that the cars go to. And I know it's kind of odd to think about you're like I'm driving straight, shouldn't the wheels point straight ahead? Well, yeah, I th- I thought that too. I certainly did and it seems the obvious thought. But actually toe plays a role especially in Formula 1 with things like tire wear and tire degradation and is incorporated a lot with the temperature of the track. And so the fact also is is that a toe out car so when the wheels are pointing away from each other that's better for straight line speed and a toe in is better for cornering. So before Mercedes introduced this system, you couldn't change the toe angle during the race at all. You had to pick whatever angle you wanted and you had to stick with it. So the DAS system was kind of a way 
to allow for the drivers to change that toe angle while driving. So the onboard cameras would show Lewis or Valtteri, they'd be pulling the wheel inward to give them more toe in and push it away for a more toe out angle. And so this means really in essence that they could carry better speed going into the straights and also be quicker in the corners because these little adjustments allowed them to fetter with that angle and make them faster overall. And so these were really voluntary controlled changes allowed through this system. And now it was banned for the 2021 season. It was only there for 2020. Uh, but I'm certain, you know, it caused so much of a stir when people figured it out that teams would have been rushing to copy it and figure it out for themselves if it was still allowed to be used today. Now, the second term is the option tire. And it's obvious, I talk about it a lot, how important tire choices are in a race. And we saw this past weekend in Hungary, how weather impacts tire choices and how split second changes in what tire a team chooses to put on their car can make or break a race. It was crazy to see everybody but Lewis Hamilton funnel into the pits after this restart and him being the only one on the grid. I don't think I've ever seen it that in my entire life, but obviously not, not every race is this manic, frantic scrambling for the right tires. The teams obviously do plan ahead. So they decide on a strategy they believe will be the best and they stick to it as much as they can. But also teams don't have an unlimited supply of tires to choose from. That's going to be something I'll, I'll talk about in just a second, but that is really incorporated into this discussion of tire compounds. So Pirelli will determine the set of three tire choices the teams are allowed to pick from. Usually I think they're labeled as C1 through C3 or compound one, compound two, compound three, etc. And you can tell by the color on the sidewall what actual compound they are. So during the race, teams always will use more than just one tire. They can't just smack the fastest tire on for the entire race and go for it. That's one bad strategy. Two, it's inefficient. And three, it's just plain stupid. So Pirelli comes to the teams and says, here, okay, first here is our prime compound or our prime tire, which is essentially what they as a company, as a business, as the supplier have deemed the best overall choice for this specific race. So it does change from race to race. And this is all depending on the weather, the temperature, the surface texture, all that is taken into account. And they look at all their data and all their information and select which one they will recommend the teams to start on. And now this is a recommendation. I use that term for a purpose. The teams don't have to use it first. They don't have to use it for the longest stint, but they do have to use it, period. So the option tire, on the other hand, so first we have our prime compound, our prime tire. The second is our option tire, and this is the less conservative choice. So maybe it's the super soft and it's going to grain a lot quicker, but it'll get the gar going a lot faster. In essence, it's just not the safest choice to start with, but it is an option as the name implies. It's something the teams can choose to do depending on what their strategy for that weekend is. 
Now, the kicker with the whole tire discussion is that the teams do have to use the option tire sometime during the race. Like I said, you can't just use the same compound for all of the laps. Teams will work into their strategy in what order to use the prime tire compound and the option. They'll balance the risk and the reward and figure out how they're going to incorporate both tires with each of the benefits and drawbacks of those compounds into their overall strategy for the most successful result. And now to go back to what I said about a limited number of tire sets throughout the weekend, that's another thing the teams will have to take into account. They don't want to use up all of their option tires or their prime compounds during a practice session or wear them out entirely in qualifying. So to really sum it all up between these kind of two terms is that it's all about planning the right usage of the right tire at the right time. That's as simple as I can put it. Now, the third term here is rake, and this is spelled R-A-K-E, the same same name, same spelling as that tool you use to collect leaves on your lawn or whatever. But this is a concept that actually has to do with aerodynamics. So it's a discussion that I believe I first came across in an article on Aston Martin's website. And they were talking about how it related to the technical regulations the FIA had introduced at the time and how it played a role in their aerodynamic development. And a rake applies to the inclination of a Formula One car when it's viewed from the side on. So in essence, the the car doesn't sit parallel to the ground. It's not at a perfectly flat zero degrees position Um, where it's perfectly parallel to the floor. So one side, either the rear or the front, is tipped up or down, one being closer to the ground than the other. So a high-rake car, a car that's referred to as having a high rake, has a much more visible difference in angle between the front of the car and the rear. So the front is close to the ground, and the back end is up lots higher. Now, on the other hand, a low rake car has a much more reduced angle, so it's not as extreme. And the incline of the back means that it's much closer to the ground. So the front is still the closest portion of the car to the ground, but the back just isn't as, it's not up as high as a high rake car. Now, in knowing this, it's, you gotta, the next question you ask is why do teams choose one over the other? And the idea behind increasing rake is to increase the effective volume of the diffuser and to also accelerate the airflow underneath the car. So with increased airflow, this means that there is lower pressure under the car. It creates a kind of suctioning effect that contributes to higher downforce. So downforce is really the main connection to rake. And there were a lot of complaints coming from Aston Martin's garage because these new regulations hampered them and it hurt the teams that ran lower rake cars, which included them as well as teams like Mercedes. And this is in part why we've seen Aston Martin fall back as more of a midfield team this year compared to where they were last year in the pink cars. They were challenging for wins on occasion, and now that's a lot less frequent 
We see the massive effort it takes for Sebastian Vettel to have gotten the car to the podium these two times, but honestly, it's also been uh, some luck in having some issues with other cars. So it's been really hard for them to deal with these new regulations and make the car as good as they want it to be. So they feel the new rules hurt them and they want the FIA to make changes, uh, but I've read that they've decided the FIA to make these alterations on on the grounds of safety and owing to the escalating downforce uh, produced by modern F1 cars, which would have left the Pirelli tires having to cope with loads that they were not designed to carry. So that's certainly a valid reason in my book to make the change, even though I most certainly would like to see Aston Martin doing better in races. Now, the final term is scrutineering, and I thought it would be fairly fitting to chat about this, considering what happened with uh, Sebastian's car with Aston Martin and the possibility that he would be disqualified because of technical issues regarding his car's fuel. We obviously know that F1 is very technically and mechanically complex, and that teams are always looking to squeeze every ounce of power out of their car. And they're going to go about accomplishing that goal, sometimes in kind of any way they can, perhaps a little unethical. And the FIA knows this. They they know that teams have the opportunity, and if they figure it out, they might cheat. Um, and so they'll try and find a way around the rules. And that's where scrutineering comes in. Scrutineering's root word is scrutiny, scrutinize. So they're evaluating the legality of the car. And one of the ways they do this is through a way bridge. So these kind of structures that the cars will roll onto are really complicated, a lot more complicated than I even imagined. They're more than just a simple scale uh, for weight. They actually measure the force that gravity exerts on the mass and are also calibrated to the specific temperature and elevation of the location of the circuit. And now, yes, overall weight is super important to simply being able to participate in races. That's why they weigh the cars. And they'll take into account everything from fuel load, the aerodynamic parts of the car, and even the weight of the driver themselves. But it's also a lot more than weight. You have to do with the height and the width of the car, the amount of fuel in the tank, and even the parts of the car that they simply have to conform to the rules. And they choose random cars. So it's not just like they have a list and they go down and they do everybody all at once or in the same day. A computer will choose a car at random and they have to undergo inspection. And so this can usually be done during practice sessions or after the race, I believe. And so as an example, Sebastian's Aston Martin was chosen for random inspection after the race on Sunday, and the investigators found issue with the level of fuel in the tank that they couldn't extract the necessary one liter of fuel for testing. And so I heard something, I believe Otmar Safnauer, who's the, the team boss over there, was fairly certain that they had the fuel in the tank, but the tools that were being used to extract it weren't working properly. But at this point in time, Aston is launching an appeal against the disqualification. And it's a bit confusing because so far Seb has gotten to keep his points from his P2, uh, but obviously if the team is unable to come up with evidence that there will be that there was enough fuel in the car at the time of inspection, then he will lose those points in the podium, which I don't think anybody wants to see. 
But I know this is, uh, this is a case of maybe an unintentional error, but regardless of the intentionality or the purpose of this, scrutineering is meant to be uh, largely as a deterrent to cheating. So that will be all. That's done. The ABCs of F1 is done. And I can't thank you enough for listening, and I hope to see you again soon. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.